Our Bible reading today is the gospel text from the Revised Common Lectionary for today's date. It is Mark 10, 35 through 45. I think that says NIV on the wall, but I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So you can follow. It's probably going to be close. It actually may be the New Living Translation misdiagnosed as the NIV. They're pointing at each other in the back. They're both wound up today. I don't know what it is about them. Too much coffee in for the monkeys in the cage today. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. And that is him being Jesus. Teacher, they said. We want you to do us a favor. Can you imagine asking Jesus for a favor? What is your request? He asked. They replied, When you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you. One on your right, the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied. We are able. Then Jesus told them, You will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones He has chosen. Then... The ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked. They were indignant. What a that's a word that needs to be used more in the English language. They were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority. Over those under them. But among you. It will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you. Must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first among you. Must be the slave of everyone else. For even the son of man came. Not to be served. But to serve others. And to give his life. As a ransom. For many. The Word of God for the people of God. An English professor called his university class to order for their final exam. It was one of those auditorium classes. I don't know if any of you had such an opportunity. They are designed to weed out the freshman class most times. 500 students in one great hall. Everyone received a test booklet with these instructions. You have two hours to complete this exam. All booklets must be handed in before time expires. Anyone who does not hand in his or her booklet on time will receive a zero. I had this, professor. If it's late, it's unacceptable. So with that, the test began. About 20 minutes into the exam, the back doors 
of the hall burst open, and a hurried and harried freshman came crashing into the auditorium, down the aisle to the professor's desk. He was late, and as the professor handed him a test booklet, he repeated the warning about being on time, and then smugly added, you will never be able to finish on time. The student took his seat and went to work. The two hours expired. Everyone handed in their exams, everyone except the late arriving student who continued to work his way through the booklet until he finished. And then, after time has long expired, he walks up to the professor who is sitting behind a desk reading a book and he lays the completed exam on the stack of exams already collected. And the professor stops him and says, Oh, no, you don't. I told you that late exams would not be accepted. You get a zero instead. Freshman student threw his shoulders back just a bit, stiffened his spine, and he said to the professor kind of indignantly, that word, do you know who I am? professor glanced up from his book and answered sarcastically, no, I don't. The young man grew more angry. He took his finger and he started pointing at himself. And he said, do you know who I am? And the professor stood up angry himself and said, no, I don't know who you are and I don't care. The young student took his booklet. He stuffed it in the middle with all the rest of them, shuffled it like cards. <laughs> Smiled and said, Good. That boy should get an A just for being so clever. Do you know who I am? Have you, have you ever used that line? Oh, you liars, liars. You've thought it. It's just chocked full of arrogance, isn't it? We start throwing our weight around, using our place, our privilege, our power to get something that we want. You may not have used that phrase, but you may have used something like this. I have lived here my whole life. Is that closer? Who do you think you're talking to? I'm the president of the HOA, thank you very much. <laughs> do you know how much money I make? I could buy you out lock, stock, and barrel today. You must not realize who my parents are. Or my wife, or my husband, or my employer. Hey, I know people in Washington. I know people in Silicon Valley. I don't just have friends in high places. I live in the high places. And before you know it, you sound like a blubbering fool. Just letting your ego spill out everywhere, making a mess, trying to prove who you are. Just like James and John in our scripture reading this morning. As we join them on, in the text, they are on their way to Jerusalem. Jesus is on his way to the cross. In the very next chapter of Mark, just a few verses from here, we read about what's called the 
triumphant, infant, uh, triumphant entry. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the people called out. Only to be replaced by a different mob a few days later, crying out, crucify him. For we have no king but Caesar. As they walk down the road, they can probably see the sunlight already gleaming off of Jerusalem's limestone walls far away on the horizon, or at least at night when they camp, see the lights from the city reflecting on the night sky. They are that close to Jesus' passion and Jesus' sufferings. But what is on James and John's mind as they're on their way? Power. When you sit on your glorious throne, these guys are so clueless. They think they're going to Jerusalem for Jesus to take over. They have completely misunderstood the meaning of the kingdom of God, even though that's the thing Jesus talked about more than anything else. They think he will ascend the throne of David, he will unify the country. He will throw out those infidel Romans who have occupied Israel for the last hundred years. This is it. Jesus is going to kick tail and take names. So when you do that, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and one on your left. What are they asking for? Well, we'd like to be in the presidential cabinet. We would like to be in the Politburo And specifically, we want to be numbers two and numbers three in the administration. Vice President and Speaker of the House. Secretary of State or Minister of Defense. The specific titles were inconsequential as long as they got those seats. As long as they were in charge. They wanted authority. They wanted power. They wanted to be in charge. And they were willing to suffer to get it. Jesus tells them, you know, you really are insane. You don't know what you're talking about. And they, they say, no, we want it. We want it. And he says, well, can you suffer like I'm going to suffer? Can you be baptized in the literal fire that's coming to me? And they say, essentially, bring it on. It's no wonder Jesus nicknamed these two boys, these two brothers, the sons of thunder. Because they're boisterous, and they're bold, and they make a lot of noise. And because they are the way they are, the other disciples hear this audacious request that they have made of Jesus, and what is their reaction? That word, verse 41, they were indignant. They are grieved. This hurt them. It's a really expressive word in the original language. It means, literally, To snort. It was used to describe a horse. I'm sorry about my uh, stuff this morning. I think I hugged Jeff Allen too close and he broke my tape loose where I had this thing taped into my ear. Stand by. It means to snort and it was used to describe a horse under the spur. That when you spurred the horse, the horse would become indignant. The combination of pain and frustration. Why are the disciples indignant? Not because they think James and John have stepped out of line. 
They are indignant because James and John beat them to the punch. This is not righteous indignation. It is jealousy. They, those two, are going to get what we wanted. See, there's a corollary statement to, do you know who I am? And the corollary statement is, just who do you think you are? Now, I know you've used that one. Let me tell you something that you probably already know. Woody Guthrie said that, that by the way, here's Woody. Woody Guthrie said, let, be, let me be known as the man who tells you what you already know. I like that. And you probably already know this. But here it is. A great majority of the offense, the indignation taken in this world today has nothing to do with what is right or just. Most indignation is used as a weapon to hold, to acquire, or to regain power. Some politician will draft and pass a law, not because it is right or just, or because it is in the best interest of the greater community, or because it is good for regular folks. The politician does this for his or her own interest. Did you know that? And those who oppose such a policy or a law, while they may have good, moral, even righteous reasoning for such opposition, lose all standing when it is obvious that they simply want to be the one calling the shots. It's no wonder our society is so ruptured today. We have lost all sense of service. We have lost all sense of humility. It's all about winning. All about keeping my particular team on top. And sometimes it's not even about that. I don't have to win just so long as the people I don't like lose. I must maintain my hold on the reins of power, and if those reins aren't in my hands, I'll do whatever it takes to get them back. It's obvious in the political world, but it's everywhere. You know this, don't you? It's in corporations. They they aren't structured for the benefit of employees or stockholders or the community. They are often structured to protect and insulate those who are in charge. At your workplace, do you know why change is so impossibly difficult to implement where you work? The people that hold power have too much at stake for the peons to go getting squirrely with the way things are. Why does your HOA seem to attract all the schmucks and difficult people? Apologies if you're on the HOA board. They are simply often the ones with an agenda. They were some corporate big shot one day and they retired and they got nothing to do with their time, so I'm going to go take over the HOA and inflict my will on those people. 
Lord, I've told the truth now. Church leadership, school boards, Rotary Club, do what is best for all. Well, screw that. I'm going to do whatever I have to do so that I can remain in charge or get put in charge so that the powers that be will remain within my or my tribe's powers that be. Why do some leaders keep the races in this country at each other's throats when most people can actually live and love together? Why is it easy to make a downtrodden working man demonize a hardworking Latino when the two have more in common demographically than anyone else? Why are patriarchal denominations afraid of women? Why are so many groups obsessed with purity? Who is in? Who is out? Why are we always looking for a scapegoat to punish, to blame, to vilify? Why do we feel so threatened by newcomers, by people who are different than we are? How is it that we are so easily spooked, manipulated, and made to feel like, quote, our way of life is at stake? Why is there such societal paralysis, such seemingly non-interest, in actually attempting to solve our biggest problems as a society? Because there is too much power at risk. There is too much power to be given up, and the powers aren't interested in surrendering any of it. The great Leo Tolstoy, who looks like Gandalf in this picture, a Russian who witnessed more than his fair share of abusive power, once described it like this. Listen to this quote. They sit on a man's back, choking him and making him carry them. Yet they assure themselves that they are sorry for this man and wish to lighten his load by all means possible, except by getting off his back. You know this. In your heart, you know this. Let me be the man who tells you what you already know. Jesus said to his disciples, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. It was true 2,000 years ago. It is true today. It'll be true tomorrow. Things are the way they are because this is the way of the world. Power is the goal. Selfish ambition is the means. Consolidation is the method. Clout, privilege, control, and domination are the currency. (laughs) To quote the great Norm Peterson from Cheers, it's a dog-eat-dog world and most of us are wearing milk-bone underwear. We get devoured by the power players that surround us. And when we finally had enough, have you ever had enough? 
Well, instead of getting devoured, we be try to become the big dog ourselves and fight fire with egotistical fire. Jesus has a word to say to us about that. Among you, it will be different. Don't get caught up playing the game by the world's rules. Don't lord over others, a phrase that literally means to become someone's master. No, he says, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be slave. Oh, that just... We rights-obsessed people in the West, this really rubs us bad. Servant, slave, a person without rights, a person without an agenda, a person without an ego, without the thirst for domination or management of others. This is a person who leads with heart, who puts the needs of others first who stoops when it is necessary to do the dirty work no one else will do. And it is an imitation of Jesus Himself who came not to be served but to serve to the point that He would lay down His life and not once, not once did Jesus ever take up coercive or abusive power not even for a good cause. Not even For the best cause. But laid his life down. Willingly. In the words of the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians. A text that I'm going to come back to next week. Because I'm not going to get finished today. Paul says Jesus had equal status with God. Talk about rights. Equal status with God. Let's think about that next time we're defending what our rights are. Jesus had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to that status. He set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. He didn't claim special privilege. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life. And died a selfless, obedient death. It is an inverted, paradoxical, oxymoronish power that Jesus implemented. And that he demands from his followers. It turns the world upside down. Leading not with privilege or wealth or an iron fist or some manipulating scheme. But with service, humility, honesty and the refusal to play by the world's rules. Well, I just wish everybody in this country could hear this sermon. This sermon doesn't apply to everyone in this country. It applies to the people who are following Jesus. That's the conflict, don't you see? We are called to play by a completely different set of rules. Of giving up our agendas, overturning our pride 
and in loving service to others, follow the example of Christ. As I said, I'll have much more to say about this next week, but to finish up today, is there anyone here today from Ohio? I'm not, I'm not, Lee, I'm not going to talk about who beat Ohio State last night. Purdue Boilermakers. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I said I wasn't going to talk about that. Anyone here from Ohio? Don't be afraid, thank you. Anybody here from the Cincinnati area of Ohio? A few. You should know this story. For the rest of us, it should be new, maybe. The city of Cincinnati is named after an ancient Roman, a man who lived more than 400 years before Jesus. About the time of Esther and Nehemiah in your Old Testament, his name was Lucius Quintius Cincinnatus. And this is him with his plow. And he has these symbols of power in his hand. The legend is told that he was a brilliant man, civically minded, loved to help others, but the power struggle within Rome reached such a caustic, poisonous state, he said, I'm going back home to the farm. And so he retired and went home to his plow. But as power struggles will do, eventually the power struggles of Rome destabilized the city, it collapsed, and it was overrun by enemies. And the leaders went out to Cincinnatus' farm, and they got down on their hands and knees, and they begged him to come back and to save them. He was the wisest of them all. Would he do that? And if he would, we'll make you king. We'll give you all power. Everything will be yours so long as you save us. So he did. He marshaled an army. He drafted emergency policies. He became the absolute dictator of Rome, and he freed it from its enemies. And then two weeks later, when his job was done, he disbanded the army, he turned in his toga, and he went back to the farm. Well, lo and behold, a couple years later, Rome was in trouble again. Back to the farm, the power jockeys rode. They got down on their hands and knees and begged Cincinnatus one more time for his help. And again, the old farmer came out of retirement. He defeated the enemy. He averted ultimate disaster. And after 21 days as total king and monarch of the land, he removed the crown and went back to his plow. Twice he was given all power. And twice he gave it up holding on to it only long enough to get the job done. He relinquished that power just as quickly as he could to return to his simple life because he knew the true maxim of all history that too much power destroys the person with that power and everything that that person cares about. There aren't many like Cincinnatus in the world today. Power, from the church house to a state house, is just too intoxicating once you have it. But the problem is, it is also completely corrupting. 
And only those who can let it go and truly serve, only those who can keep it at a distance can become the leaders, the teachers, the physicians, the business owners, the police officers, the HR managers, the hurricane volunteers, the citizens, the people that this world so desperately needs. Let's pick up right there next week.